0: So the son of man, the son of man, God himself, fully God, fully man, is walking around on the planet, are dwelling amongst his people, is is here at this time when we're studying in Luke, Luke chapter 8 here. And what is he doing? He's arrived and he's dwelling among them and he's got this mission and this work to do. So, we look at chapter 8, and it starts with soon after. Soon after what? Soon after what we talked about last week. Soon after he's chosen the apostles, Um, he's um, dealt with John the Baptist while he was in prison, he's done some more healing, he's done some more forgiving, and if we can remember from last week... The lesson was about he has, he's demonstrating how he is taking his authority and he's using it for the preservation of life and the alleviation of suffering. And not a lot of people in power do those things. Okay, but Jesus is demonstrating this is how he's using his authority over nature to heal. This is how he's using his authority to reach out, to raise people from the dead, to get rid of um, demon-possessed problems and and heal sufferings and everything. It's for the good. So verses 1 to 3, well, let's just take that first verse. Soon after, he went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That sums up, the first part of verse 1, sums up his pretty much his whole ministry. He was going through all these villages and all these cities, and he's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So he's preaching. They didn't have the internet, they didn't have... Television. They didn't have any technology back then. So here's the son of man walking around with these people, and he's throwing the word of God. There, He's sowing seeds. He's, he's proclaiming, preaching, and he's teaching, and he's healing. He's doing a lot of healing. And as he's doing healing, people are, he's got their attention, and he's saying, wow, look what he's done. who is this what is this about you know all this uh, commotion and all this wonderment of who he is and then he's telling them about the good news of the kingdom of god and then he'd collect more people and then he'd go to the next town and and the next little city and he'd do the same thing he'd heal everybody and he'd set them free of demonic oppression and then he would tell them about the good news of the kingdom of god So he was sowing seeds, he was throwing out these glad tidings, he was evangelizing, he was proclaiming, he was heralding, he had like a herald, someone coming with good news and carrying important news and saying, I've got good news. The healings were just to get their attention, because what he really wanted to tell them was the good news, and what was that good news, what was the content of what he was saying? God's kingdom is here now. God's kingdom is in existence now. Remember 400 years of darkness, nothing going on. These people were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. These people, it was bad. And he's telling them, this is good news. God's kingdom is here. God is king now, and God will always be king God was never dethroned. The Lord reigns, God reigns. And as he went through these towns and he had the attention of these people, he would say the kingdom exists and here's the good part. It's available to the human soul through grace. The king, eternal, immortal, invincible has made a way For those in revolt to be reconciled to him. God reigns and he's provided a way. All those who have been banished may return. Wow! This is what he was doing. This is what he was doing. All that in that first part of that verse 1. He was going through these cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And with him were traveling some people. We have the 12 disciples with him, traveling with him, men chosen to continue his work. He was teaching them how to do the work. He was teaching them what to expect from those who hear this message also. So he's informing them, and he's encouraging them also, because the work's going to be really hard. And then he had a group of some women, and it lists the women there, Um, women who had... Received healing from Jesus. You know, Mary Magdalene had the seven demons cast out of her. That woman was tortured. He had someone that was in Herod's household. That was um, the wife of Chusa. Is that how you guys might say that one? Chusa. I want to say like Chusa. I don't know anyone named Chusa. Does anybody know anyone named Chusa today? <laughs> Anyways. Um, So she was kind of a well-known, well-to-do woman because her husband had a decent job and everything. And so these women, um, and Susanna, who we don't know about, were helping him financially, helping him support that. And there were many people who had given, giving back to Jesus because they had received something from Jesus. He had healed them. He had made their lives better. They, They believed he was the son of God, and they wanted to, Minister to him, to support him, to give back to him. It was like a financial support, too. I mean, I'm sure they did a lot of things like like cooking and doing and caring and washing the clothes and you know all the caring that that women would do. Um, but also there was a financial piece to it, because fishermen don't have any money. They weren't wealthy, they didn't have a whole lot. Jesus was a carpenter. And, you know, he made money at his own toil. And legend has it that possibly he even supported the family when Joseph died. Um, I sometimes wonder, you know, that wise men came with um, all the monetary gifts and things too for them. and, And that carried them through for a while. So we don't really understand. But I don't think God wants us to focus on finances or anything. So, But he was taking... Jesus was being taken care of by these people. It wasn't beneath Jesus to receive this kind of support. As a matter of fact, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he was actually giving them an opportunity to be blessed even more by taking care of him. So here's Jesus, the son of man, going around this area, towns and villages. And this is what he was... We we have to stop and really ponder... The the impact that this man had in that area at that time, this was, I'm sure no one talked about anything else but him. This is truly the great light that was shining on these people who walk in darkness and who dwell in a land of deep darkness. It was a land of deep darkness. And here's this guy doing these good things He's raising people from the dead. He's preserving life. He's alleviating suffering. What great news. And then he's telling us that God, we can have access to God in his kingdom. That's pretty amazing. That's what he was doing. He had a certain teaching style about himself. Teaching style, and we're going to look at right now, is parables. There's two parables here in Luke. Um... There's many parables recorded in Matthew, if you're reading Matthew as the parallel passage to this. But we're going to point out two right now. This first parable is when there was a great crowd in verse 4. There was a great crowd that has gathered. And you can imagine... The size of the crowd that was hanging out with Jesus as he would go from town to town to town and and be healed and witnessed and hear this good news and get all excited. And then we also have that little group on the side that were growing in hostility too. And they were keeping an eye on him, tracking him. What's going on? What's going on? how How can we get rid of this guy? So a great crowd had gathered and he... And they've come from all over town to town. And he says to them in a parable. Parables. I'm not going to read the parable here in Luke. We just studied it. It's pretty familiar. But we're going to talk about it. This was publicly he was talking to all the people in this parable. Now sowers, they were very, they understood a sower. A sower, um, like what Jesus was doing, going from town to town, talking about the good news, sharing the good news, throwing it out. That's what a sower would be like then. There weren't any fenced pastures or fenced fields to keep things out of. The sower would, wouldn't sow by his house. He would take his seed, like Johnny Appleseed kind of, and he would just walk around and he would just throw seed. He would just throw seed, throw seed throw seed and he would walk around and throw seed and then later on he would go through the harvesters would go through and they would find where some of it landed on bad soil and some on good soil so they all understood this concept of throwing seed you cast your nets wide, you throw the net out wide and see what you can catch there and he gives that talks to them about falling on different soil they got that, they can understand that the birds are right there following a sower. Pick it up, pick it up. But what was the purpose of the parable? Who was the audience? The audience was a mix of people some revolted, some looking to not to take him down, some just eager to hear what he had to say. But many people don't really listen when you talk to them. As a matter of fact, and this is sad if you're a public speaker, you only take in like 10% of what I'm saying. <laughs> it might even be less than that, I don't know. But anyways, right, what is it, less, is it less? I got 11. 11, okay. <laughs> I like the number 11. Let's turn it up to 11. anyway. so um so, Were they paying attention to them? No one's going to pay attention to anybody, really. They shut it down once you start to become attacking them or pointing something out that's wrong with them. I remember my supervisor in grad school. He he would you know when I'd have my supervision hour with him, it was like I come out of his office and I think, boy, I, I think he just criticized me, but he did it in such a gentle way because he, first of all, he said all these positive things and then he slid into, but you really need to try this, Molly. Um, So he, but he won my attention. And so Jesus is here and he knows human nature. Um, People will pay attention to a story, especially if it's about somebody else. We can call it gossip or whatever. Um, But if you ever look at children's books, children's books... Um, they are about animals. Pooh bear, there's not a lot of people. I mean, Christopher Robin's in there, but he's not in there a lot. But usually it's, it's animal characters. And why is that? This is my philosophy on it. Because um, children, it's safe to look at animals. It removes it from who they are. And so they can see the story, they can get the message, because it's happening to um, the Berenstein Bear family. And they can understand all that. And then once they learn that lesson, they can take it and kind of start to understand it for themselves. It's like a transition to get it. So the parables were the same way. Jesus is luring these people in with picture messages, picture stories, okay, if they were interested, if they had a hardened heart, they weren't even going to listen to anything he was going to say. But if there was something about him that intrigued them, they were just healed, their friend was just healed, whatever, they're going to be listening to the story, and this, he's going to pull them in. Another purpose for the parable was it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. We are going to look at Matthew 13, and we're going to look at the parable from that, that, that gospel. Matthew 13, parallel passage here. Um, disciples are there with him in verse 10, and, and he says, why, why do you speak in parables? And then he goes and he tells them. And then verse 14, he says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For these people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Least they should be see with their ears and hear with their e- and hear with their ears, eyes and ears, and understand with their hearts. And turn, and I would heal them. That is a quote from Isaiah on how the people's hearts had turned against God, and had gotten so hardened, they had hardened their own hearts that they couldn't see or hear or understand. Um, They weren't heeding it. They they would hear it, but the word wouldn't go down and take root. They would hear it, but the thorns would choke it out. And then in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 18, he says what it is. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom of God, which he was going on sowing, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So they might hear something. They're not really paying attention or Satan's got it twisted or deceived or whatever. Or some old thoughts in there or somebody else is saying something and the, the truth is gone. As for the, what was sown on rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself. And he endures for a while and kind of goes on and, you know, goes to church and believes and hangs out with Christian and learns Christianese. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Once it gets too tough to be a Christian, once, once you, you, know, you find yourself standing for the truth and yet it, it's not the popular opinion, or you don't have any friends, or you're going to, whatever's going to happen, persecution on behalf of account of the word, they pull away. And for those who are sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out, and it proves to be they prove to be unfruitful. So yeah we 're a Christian and everything, but you know what this this is more- oh I love that or greed or or possessions or whatever it is wealth whatever materialism, the world, fame, whatever that starts becoming more important than heeding to the Word of God, so it gets choked out. Matthew thirteen gives us a little bit more insight on it in The Luke passage, the word of God is, good seed is the word of God was thrown out. In the Matthew passage, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And if you're still in Matthew 13 and you go to verse 36 and 39, Jesus adds some more insight onto this. He left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came in and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The son of man, spreading the gospel. He's out there telling them t- telling them the good news of the kingdom. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil." And the harvest is is at the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. So he's letting them know a little bit more of what's going on with who's the good seed, what happens with the bad seed. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. So how does that tie in then with good seed, and yet Matthew says the good seeds are the sons? When the seed is planted on the good soil, it grows. It grows. When a person hears the truth of the good news and accepts it and yearns for it and obeys it by continuing to read it and study it and apply it and and get around people that do and have fellowship and, and the roots start to dig down really, really, really deep, that person then becomes the good seed. The word is implanted in that person and they become the good seed. And they have the news and the great, they can sow seeds about the the kingdom of of God and everything. So that can help us understand a little bit more about it. The teaching of parables. So those are the two, one of the styles of teaching that he has was using parables, okay? So he goes on and he's using these parables. That was the public setting. And then when he got in the house and he's trying to talk to them personally and they wanted to know what, the parable what they meant he's sitting there and he's now teaching his disciples and he's telling them what to expect verses 11 to 15 he's sharing with them how it all happens i'm gonna you're going to tell people about the kingdom of god and you're going to give them this invitation that you can repent and come to know god through jesus christ and some people are going to believe and some people aren't going to believe And that's just how it's going to to be. As a matter of fact, most people aren't going to believe. Most people aren't going to believe. When we get back to Luke 8, in verse 15, it says this. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Luke 8:15, a great verse there. Those who hear the good news and hold it fast in an honest and good heart. This book holds up all the negative stuff that's going on in our life. And if we're honest and we repent of stuff and we start cleaning, you know, helping God uh, get in there and flush stuff up and listen to his spirit and and become more Christ-like and be transformed into his image. The root of the word is growing down deep. That's what it's all about. That's what's going to hold fast. Holding fast to these truths, not letting them go when persecution about the word comes on, oh, that's not popular, I'm not going to do that, but holding fast. Do not comply. I can't... Express that enough. I mean, all last year in Daniel it was, "Do not comply, do not comply." But you know what, ladies, we live and gentlemen, we live in a world where the persecution and the the attack on the word of God and the truth that's out there and getting rid of the truth is overwhelming. So if we stand, we hold fast, we do not waver from the truth. When tribulation comes on account of the word, we hold fast, we stand fast, wearing the whole armor of God, don't we? We speak the truth. We continue to speak the truth. Jesus was telling his disciples, it's going to be rough out there, okay? But... The word of God, about the truth about the kingdom of God, the truth about that you can come to have a right relationship with God, those are the things we have to make people aware of. So he was illustrating to his disciples what it's going to be like to tell other people about the good news. It's going to be rough, you guys. It's going to be really rough. As a matter of fact, if you look at the apostles and how their lives were ended, wasn't pretty right even last the other week when we were talking about true prophets and false prophets true prophets they all were died martyrs it was the false prophets that had all the wealth and the fame and everything speaking the truth Romans 10 14 and 17 says this how then will people call on him in whom they have not believed And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is very, very important that we keep spreading the gospel. We keep talking about it. The last parable here, the second parable that he has listed here is... um, About a lamp, he's wanting to tell his disciples. He's talking to them in private now and again, and he's saying, "Do not hide the truth. You have the you have the truth. Don't conceal it. Don't make it so people don't know about it. Don't not talk about it." So he gets in there with the second one and says, "You know, do not hide the truth. Shed the light of truth." No one, after lighting a lamp covers a jar and puts it under the bed or puts it on it, he puts it on a stand, so all may see light, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, and is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Does anybody in here watch "And We Know blog website? Because that's verses in there, isn't it? Um, so everything, everything will be revealed. Um, it will be come to light. So even if you try to hide the truth, you can't hide the truth. You might not be displaying the light, but it's going to get out there because the light cuts through the darkness. We've used that demonstration before when we've had a, a room with light in it and a box here, and in the box it's, it's dark in the box. And if I open this, will the darkness come out of the box and dampen all the light? What happens? The light goes into the box i don't this isn't this was just here <gasps> another way god comes through on things isn't it <laughs> so the truth will everything will be revealed everything will be made known verse 18 take care then how you hear for to the one who has more will be given And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. We hear the truth. What are we going to do with that? We're going to apply it. We know it now. There's no excuse. Beginning of this year, before we started studying Luke, we were limited in what we kind of knew about Luke. By the end of the year, come May, you all are going to have a deeper understanding of Scripture in Luke. You should be transformed more like Christ. You should be walking more faithful. You should have your act together a little bit more. And your light should be shining a little bit brighter. And you should have more of a boldness to be able to tell people about the truth. So be careful how we listen. We are accountable to what we know. You can't say, I never heard that, I didn't know that. Bible teachers, pastors are held to a higher standard. And as you guys um, look forward to being rejoined at Community Bible Study, I want you all to be praying for your new teaching director. I want you to be praying for your new teaching director. Okay? Whoever she is. And the ATD. And your pastors. Anyone, anyone who... God is called to rightly divide the word of God because you get into this word and you start to study it and learn it enough to be able to teach it if you're not living it yourself it's not good it's not good and that's one thing that your new teaching director will have to weigh in on I'm sure she'll be, I'm sure she'll be great but that you're held to it. Because if you don't practice what you're talking about, doesn't mean anything, huh? So that's what that verse was about in 18. You have to be very careful, and you have to apply, and you have to get that roots dug down deep in what you understand when you have these truths into that good, good soil. There's three types of soils, right? That's out there. Sounds a little discouraging. Fallow soil, rocky soil, thorny soil. So these disciples are saying, oh, what are we getting ourselves into? You know, how do we know? How do we know what kind of soil we're talking to? How do we know this person's not going to believe or that person's not going to believe? Or or I'm sure you guys have heard this one. Well, if there's, um, if everybody's, um, there's election or whatever, so there's no point in me preaching or anything or telling anybody about the good news because Either God's going to call them or not, so it's up to him. Don't go there. We don't know. We don't know. As a matter of fact, the people who are least likely to turn their lives over to Jesus Christ will blow you away. I have many stories about hardened, obnoxious, foul-mouthed Marines that have seen the hell of war and hate everybody keep coming to see me. Why? Because there's something about me that they want to know about, and that's that light. And then we pray sinner's prayer later on. You never know. You just got to keep putting it out there, putting it out there. Um, Because the fallow ground, the hard ground, where the uh, birds come and take it away, it can be broken up, right? The rocks, they can be shattered. The thorns, they can be uprooted, right? Right? So we continue to proclaim in faith and in hope and in love. The final point here is this kind of odd story about Jesus' mother and his brothers. Again, Luke is filling in where some of the other Gospels um, have more detail. And this is an instance where Luke has condensed what Mark was talking about in Mark 3. Mark 3.22 specifically says that, a parallel passage here, that people were saying that Jesus was crazy. He was possessed. Beelzebub, look at him, he's just crazy. And that was the loud voice. That was that hostile group that was saying, we got to get him. Who is this guy? He's got to be crazy. That wasn't the group like the women that were following him and ministering to him and everything like that. This group is very vocal. Today we know that. This group is the media. This group is very vocal about things that they want to tell us and everything like that. So they're saying, he's possessed and he's crazy. So word trickles back to poor Mary, right? What would you hear if you were a mother and your son's going crazy out there and he's not sleeping and he's not eating right and all these people are all crying? they're so, putting so much demand you want to go in there and save him. Everybody needs to go home now. My son's going to take a nap, okay? This is where Mary was at. She ropes in her, the two younger brothers to come with her to, to try to get in to see him. Of course, she can't get in to see them because, you know what? There's too many people in there, so she sends a message out there. And it, the, the brothers weren't believers at this point. They were believers after the resurrection, but here they weren't. They just, oh, come on, Mom, let's just go. There's too many people. Here. No, 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 we've got to get a message to them. She wanted to take care of them. She feared for his health, his mental health. Um, She believed that he was in danger of a major breakdown maybe because she was listening to what? The wrong voices. She knew Jesus was the son of God. She knew he never got in trouble as a kid. She knew he went to bed on time. (laughs) She knew he knew how to take care of himself. But for momentarily, it was almost like John the Baptist, it was like, oh my gosh, is she going crazy? Well, we know he didn't go crazy, but she was fearful of that. But he sends a message back, and the message isn't so much for Mary and the boys. The message was for the disciples, who he was just telling them about the importance of hearing the word and applying the word. He says in verse 21, and he answered them, when they said, "Your mom's outside, she wants she's calling you," He answers them, "My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it and do it. Not just hear it, but do it. Human relationships are not the issue, but those who hear the word and obey it. John 14:15, what does Jesus say? "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Freedom of speech is extremely important because that's what this chapter was about. Do you see that? We need to get out and we need to start sharing the Word of God. We need to freely be able to talk about Jesus Christ and the kingdom and His Word and how to apply His Word and encourage one another and exhort one another to, to dig down deep in those roots. So we live in a country where freedom of speech is still happening. But we're starting to hear little things like censoring. Starting to hear about little things like gag orders. Little things that are all around, okay? I'm not gonna tell you any, a lot about that, but as I watch what's going on out there, I'm reminded, because you do. We, well, there's censoring, there's gag orders. I mean, what's harmful, what's whatever. I'm a mandated reporter. If I hear someone's gonna kill themselves or hurt themselves or kill somebody else or hurt somebody else if i don't do something about that i lose my license okay many of you are mandated reporters in here you just don't look the other way we have laws now Soft law because you know someone didn't knew knew that someone was plotting to hurt somebody didn't say anything so maybe a simplistic clear way to weigh in on speech, is it because they're censoring, they're censoring, and the whatever. If you guys watch media, you know what I'm talking about. Is to ask yourself the question is the speech in line with what Jesus was doing? Jesus came and he used his authority for what? The, the value and preservation of life and the alleviation of suffering. So if the speech is uplifting and beneficial and encouraging for life and helps alleviate suffering, then the speech is good. But if the speech is something that is out to destroy and kill and cause great harm, then you might want to take a second thought of it. Um, So I'll come back to the passage now and just encourage us to never, never, never stop sowing the seed and sowing it far and wide, close to your feet, not just way out there, but close to your feet too because you just never know where the good soil is going to be. God, we we thank you. We really do thank you. We don't always understand how important it is but that we have these freedoms in this country. Give us wisdom to navigate the future and how to hold on to these freedoms, not just for us, for for the generations that are behind, and for the, the, the main purpose is that we can have the freedom to talk about you. Amen.